Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gill here with Mike Renner in shitty Cincinnati. I'm not calling it sunny today. They don't deserve it. It's 35 degrees out, half snowing, half raining on April 18th. Yeah, but 80 degrees this weekend. That's what I don't understand. How can it be disgusting on a Monday and then 80 degrees on a Saturday? It's, I don't know. It's the Midwest, dude. It's what's what's all about. The walk to work today. I've grown up in this my entire life, so it's not even like... This doesn't even register. A walk to work today pissed me off. Yeah. I'm upset. Yeah. I'm upset at the weather. I'm upset at the city. But we need to bounce back. We will bounce back. Things on the Catch and Only Buzz. The USFL kicked off. Did you watch a second of the nope. games? Couldn't tell you. Do you not know that PFF is grading every single player Couldn't on every single play and every single game in the USFL? Nice. I have good luck to those who grade. Go go team. Do you have a know, favorite dude. team? I couldn't even tell you the teams, dude. So they're, the only team that matters is the Philadelphia Stars because they have a mascot that's just like a blob, and they call he's him just a star. The blob. No, he's or not he's a star. He's white, or what is he? It's like a red blob, red. and they just call him the blob. Red giant? Yeah, nice. which is great. I think the other stars, there's like Dave the Wave, Marty the Mauler, and they're all just like guys dressed up, whatever. It's lame. But the, the blob for the Philadelphia Stars actually has legs. I mm. think it's a, it's a good piece. And maybe I need to look into this. Maybe I need to actually watch those. Just take a, was take it a look. Was it good? Was take, it good? Did you enjoy no, it? No, it was terrible. Okay. Oh, it was uh, well, maybe I don't need to look into Paxton this. Paxton Lynch was horrendous. On the broadcast, shout out Jack Collinsworth, who's doing the play-by-play for the USFL. Jason Garrett said Paxton Lynch has a lot of the qualities Josh Allen has. Mm. It was sensational content. I mean, mm. the content was good from a laughability standpoint did you see oh, yeah, the clip I did see jason garrett though i saw i did see a picture of jack with jason garrett um who were the other two jeff fisher and yeah. uh the old browns oc who oh, i don't know oh, oh, oh yeah yeah um the pittsburgh guy for a while yeah uh haley todd haley yeah, yeah todd haley there we go did you that see like the relic like a odd couple that did was you a, see that was the viral person. clip okay, of no, didn't see anything so did you see the viral clip of the coach cutting Devian Smith, who is the former Michigan back, cut him because he ordered pizza over a chicken salad at dinner. And they have a video. They're already doing a documentary on the USFL. And then the USFL let that air where they, Devian Smith comes into this room, shakes everyone's hand. He's like, they talk about through this like decisions, like order food aren't like, they were like ordering at a restaurant or something. And Damian Smith is having this explain how he wasn't trying to be disrespectful when he said he wanted the pizza. And the coach said, it doesn't matter. It's already done. And then he shakes his hand and he's out. So he got cut for ordering pizza over chicken salad. He's like, I don't really like chicken salad. And it's, he's gone. You have to watch the video. It's one of the most absurd <laughs> videos I've ever seen. Oh, man. I love how, you know, we sit here on the outside, like, and talk about roster moves and why guys get signed, why guys get cut, all this shit. And sometimes, like, that's, like, sometimes it's just coaches don't like you guys. Or sometimes yeah. it's just shit like this. Like, yeah. we have all these, we think there's this grand plan and there's these, like, high-level decisions being made in these front offices. Sometimes it's just seat of their pants shit, I think is what that you, tells me. It's, like, a really well-done clip, too. Like, they cut to, like, a side comment of the coach saying, like, hey, we have to have this conversation. It's, it's so good. Go back and watch the uh, him getting cut over the pizza thing. And right. so He's like, I don't like chicken salad. Last thing on the Catch Noli Buzz, Draft Guide is officially done. 250 profiles, all available on pff.com. Go get it with a PFF subscription. You can use promo code DRAFT50 for 50% off. Or if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. now, between now and the draft, I will send you a free Draft Guide. All oh. you have to do is leave a review, send me a screenshot of that review, via Twitter DM or IG DM, and we will make sure we get you a free draft guide. That's a big shout-out to all the tailgate listeners, the Gators here, and so forth. We're going to get into our linebacker tiers. Before we do, shout-out from the presenting sponsor of this podcast, 
The Tailgate Podcast is brought to you by Cash App. Cash App is the easiest way to spend spend and save send spend and save your money you can send or request money from your friends when they owe you for dinner drinks literally anything besides just sending money back and forth with cash app you can invest in its stocks with as little as one dollar as as well as buy sell and send bitcoin instantly it's really that easy cash app allows you to design allow also lets you design your own debit card completely free to spend money anywhere you'd like. Cash App will laser print it and mail it to you all for free. And the card comes with free discounts at your favorite places called Boosts. Sign up for Cash App today using referral code HUTCHPOD, which gives you new, which gives new users $15 and Cash App will set aside $10 for each sign up you get to go towards the Chad Tough, Chad Tough Foundation to battle pedi uh, pediatric brain cancer. The more people that use the code HUTCHPOD when registering, not only get $15 for free, but you're also helping support the Chad Tough Foundation. Download the Cash App, download the Cash App app on the App Store or Google Play Store today. Cash App, promo code HutchPod. Linebackers. There's only two tier one linebackers for you. I think that's for a bulk majority of the media. It's Devin Lloyd of Utah and N'Kobe Dean of Georgia. For you, though, even though those are your tier one linebackers, where are you feeling most comfortable of drafting either of those guys? Is it Does it start for you in the 15 to 25 range? Is it later than that, the 20 to 32 range? Just knowing, obviously, how positional value affects that position overall. I think the not only just positional value, but in this class, the depth. Like, the Tier 1, I feel very good about. The Tier 2, I feel very good about, too, though. And it's deep. I got four guys in the Tier 2 with a fifth wild card that we'll get to when we get to that. But, like... If you pass on a Devin Lloyd, I pick, I don't know, you're the Eagles. They've obviously need linebacker. They pass on him in the first round because they quite obviously don't value the position that will not be doing that, you know, uh, anytime soon. The guy you're getting in the second round or more than likely going to be on the board in the second round isn't that big a difference, in my opinion. So I would probably be passing on a lot of these linebackers until it gets to around the late. If Devin Lloyd's on the board in the mid-20s, sure. I'm taking, taking a shot then. But in the middle, heart of this first round, like in the teens, I would look elsewhere, truthfully, even though I love yeah. these guys. Even though I think Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean are great prospects, just you still have to play the board and you still have to basically realize that, you know, there's a lot of other talent and basically not be as confident in your evaluation to say, you're, to steal your line that you always love to use. To say that, you know, there maybe is not this massive chasm between the top of this class and the second tier. And for a position like that, prioritize a more valuable one in the first round that's how i feel about the this group as well like for devin lloyd and Kobe dean as much as i like taking them in the first round in that 20 to 32 range you think about taking devin lloyd say at pick 20 or leo chanel in the second round i think i'm leaning chanel every single time same with even you look at some of the guys that could be available in round three channing tyndall brandon smith darian beavers like those are really talented off-ball linebacker prospects that when you juxtapose the value of spending a first-round pick or a top-20 pick on Devin Lloyd and Kobe Dean versus getting one of those guys on day two, I'm leaning that other direction. I don't think every linebacker class is like that. You know, in previous years, it's been, if you don't get one of the top few guys, you're not really even going to get a starter mm -hmm. in this class. But Chanel, Quay Walker, Asamoah, Muma, I really like Harris, Tyndall, all those guys are legitimate starting capable off-ball linebackers that should be available round three, round four. Um, so I think that depth is going to have me gravitating towards avoiding Lloyd and Dean in the first round, maybe until 25 through 32 if I'm picking in the first round, and then looking at if I want to fill need at linebacker, going to these guys like we said in tier two, tier three on day two, day three. Yeah, let's get tier one. All right, so Devin Lloyd, Utah. He is a senior coming out, 90.2 overall grade last year. 
graded out well in run defense, coverage, pass rushing. He is as complete a linebacker prospect as exists in this class. Not a lot of weaknesses to his game. The biggest red flag to his profile, if there is one, 23 years old. He turns 24 in September. So an old prospect coming out. And, you know, is there room for growth? Is he going to get better? You know, TBD, he's already, to my opinion, the most NFL ready in this class. That's why he's LB1. Projectable body. You know, if you look at his size, speed, weight, frame, length, whatever, all that, I mean, near, damn near identical to Fred Warner. So, like, you're getting Fred Warner comps with this guy. It's obviously a high bar, a high praise, you know, a top three to five linebacker in the NFL. Is he going to become that? I would bet no. I mean, you just bet to, to say a guy's going to become that. He has to be a pretty damn good prospect. And with Lloyd, that's, again, I'm not putting him in that tier just yet, but I think he's at least from day one an average to above average linebacker in the NFL, which still has value, and especially in today's NFL with what all linebackers are asked to do and the varied role they're asked to do. I feel better about Lloyd filling that than any other linebacker in this class, a basically hybrid any position you want to put him in, I think he's going to succeed. I am a big fan of Lloyd. I like Lloyd over Dean, especially when you factor in the size comparison. Mm-hmm. I think the size is a big winner. And he is the older prospect, though. I think the reason people he'll he'll yeah. get knocked a bit is he what will play his rookie season at 24 years old. Had a really good season this past year. I think he's hyper instinctive in the run game. I think he's also going to perform like seamlessly in coverage. Like of any linebacker in this class, who do you trust most to turn their back? Yeah. It's got to be right. got to be Devin Lloyd, and um, obviously teams that are looking to play off-ball linebackers on all three downs, he's that type. As, as the four-two-five has become more popular, mm-hmm. and you only got two on the field, Lloyd, you're really confident being on the football field for all three downs, and, and specifically playing well in coverage. Like he naturally gets to his spot in a really good place um, when you look at some of the coverage stuff that he did at Utah. As for Dean, Dean, I think. Yeah, they're comparable in terms of talent level, and they're both in tier one. But I think he's going to be asked to do like a completely different thing than what Lloyd's being asked to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think Dean is going to, um, you know, you want to, you know, fire fire forward first, like a Rashawn Evans type of role, a Dante Hightower type of role, where you're asking him to blitz a lot from that position, less so, like, asking him to turn his back. I don't know. Do, do you have the same read on Dean? Is he going to play some type of role, or do you trust him to kind of play in coverage a lot and stuff? I, I still trust him in coverage. I, I think he can do a lot of different things. I think he plays the game faster than anyone else in his class. There may be better athletes, but he doesn't. no one plays the game faster. Then to Kobe Dean, the worry about him, the worries are he's 5'11", 229. He's undersized, but I will say his wingspan's bigger than Leo Chanel's. His wingspan's bigger than Chad Mumas. Like, he he is not – I wouldn't – he's in the realm of NFL starters at that position in terms of his wingspan. It is not a liability in any way, shape, or form for my money if you're, if you're drafting a guy in the first round. But teams will shy away from the smaller guys just, uh, just on the whole, usually at the position – and the other thing is he played behind a Georgia defensive line that just won. You know, when you know guys in front of you are winning, you can play a lot more confidently. Yeah. You, you know, when you're worried about your nose tackle getting rocked into your, you know, into your lap at the second level, you don't play with the same confidence and speed. So that will be a change for him. We're playing behind the best defensive front, you know, in arguably in college football history, one, one of the best defensive fronts in college football history, it's going to be difficult to you're not good, difficult, but it's it's a lot easier than what your job's going to be at the NFL level. So that that's the other knock I would say on him. But man, there really aren't a lot after that, and just in terms of the way he plays the game of football. 
I think he's one of the most instinctive players in this class. Yeah. And like you, the first thing that comes up with Nicobe Dean is obviously like athlete. He doesn't, you know, he's, he's super explosive, all that stuff. I think what's more important to me, I think what his best trait is, is his instincts and how quickly he plays. Like there was time where he's asking other linebackers to move into certain spots and then he's firing first the ball. Like there's a play where he asked Lewis Seen. It's like, Lewis, you got to come back up and fill this gap. And Lewis just comes in there and blows it up. Like that stuff, that stuff obviously doesn't show up in Dean's grade, mm -hmm. but Dean did a lot of that for that defense where getting people in position and letting people fire at the ball. Yeah. And he, you saw that there's obviously that like viral clip where he goes up to Tyndall after like a certain play where he's out of position. He's like, you got to be there for this. And the next play, Tyndall makes a fucking huge play. I think mm -hmm. Dean's a underrated as a leader and underrated as like a field general on that side of the ball. Yeah. So one of the, probably the biggest um, positives in Dean's favor is just that he played the role he did in Georgia's defense, you know? They had Quay Walker there this past year, who's likely, who could be a possible first round pick. They had Channing Tindall. Last year, they had Monty Rice, who was uh, a senior, and Nicobe Dean took his job. You know, like yeah. Nicobe, a third round pick, Nicobe Dean took his job as a true sophomore. So the Georgia coaching staff, who's around this guy, and obviously pretty damn good coach staff in their own right, saw Dean as a talent and said, we want him on the field more than a third round pick. That's, that to me is like a pretty strong indictment of the type of Fair. linebacker you're getting. Yeah, that's actually game. a great call out. Tier two. You have Leo Chanel, Wisconsin, Quay Walker of Georgia, Brian Asamoa, Oklahoma, Chad Muma, Wyoming, and then Damone Clark of LSU in this tier two. I Chanel have Clark, Clark and asterisks because he, ha he has neck fusion surgery, um, will not get drafted near this tier two, mm -hmm. but would have been you know, touching this tier two had he not had that issue because he was going to miss his entire rookie season. Probably won't go until late day three. Is of, that. of all the linebackers in this tier, I think the the guy that I've got on board with the most is Chanel. Like yeah. going back and rewatching Chanel, specifically just how how what they asked him to do, getting up on the line of scrimmage, like beating the center's face. It's rare. And then you factor in that he's like an, a, just an insane athlete. Like he mm -hmm. he is a different level athlete, physical, super strong upper half. I don't know why he's not being talked about more as you know, a top 40 consensus player. Cause I think we are higher. Your, your board is higher on Chanel than the media consensus by a significant degree. Yeah. People are sleeping on his change of direction. People are sleeping on his play strength and his versatility. I don't know why, but it, I, I do think he should be more consideration as just like consensus top yeah. 40 type of guy. And it comes back to, I think a little bit, the wingspan and then a little bit, just, he does not played a coverage role. Mm -hmm. He did not, he was basically a glorified off ball blitzer in Wisconsin scheme. And when he did play in coverage, it was like, a whole player in man coverage where he doesn't necessarily have an assignment. He's just kind of picking up for other guys. So that's the biggest worry with him. But to me, there's a role that exists for him in the NFL that he is just going to dominate at. And that's why I'm high on him because a team that blitzes their linebackers a lot, a team that plays a lot of man coverage is going to draft a guy like Chanel and he's going to crush it in said role. You mentioned the line of scrimmage stuff. I always put stock in when a coaching staff changes their scheme or carves out a role for a player because he's such a unique talent in Wisconsin scheme in short yard situations and, and in other times like when they played Navy and, and like other like run obvious situations they would put him as a tilt nose tackle he would be walked up on the line of scrimmage over the center instead of an actual nose tackle and he would just get to attack the center and he would like turn on the every game. single time <laughs> Iowa Navy, a number of different times over the last year. The Navy when he was in is... that, he wouldn't. He just won every single time. He was a walked-up nose tackle, which was insane. But that's the kind of athlete. Again, here's his testing numbers. At 250 pounds, 6'2", 250, 4'5", 340, 
with a 1-5-10 split, 40 and a half inch vertical, 10 foot 8 broad jump, 6-9-8-3 cone, 4-2-4 short shuttle, and 34 bench press reps, which is, I believe, the most for an off-ball linebacker in over a decade. So he's a different dude athletically and still only 21 years old, true junior coming out. I, I do think that you turn on the Navy game and the amount of plays where he's lined up, shaded on the center, and as soon as the ball snapped, he just dives over the top and tackles the quarterback should be – like he should be arrested for that game. Because <laughs> what they do is they tilt like the nose tackle on the opposite shade and then he's essentially just like guess the snap count, jump over the top and tackle him before they could even go through any of their fakes, right? Because yeah. obviously Navy running the triple option. They wouldn't even be able to get their first fake off to the fullback before he's like wrapped around the quarterback's neck. It, yeah. it was uh, unlawful how they deployed him. And I think a team's going to jump at the idea of getting him in a similar role where you're versatile with him and move that stuff. I think going back to Lloyd, too, some of his highest graded plays were when he lined it up purely on the edge and like was just turning offensive tackles and actually rushing the passer to a high level, too. I think those first three guys, Lloyd, Dean, and Chanel, all can rush the passer. Well, if you ask him to come up on the line of scrimmage, your next guy is Quay Walker. Quay Walker, the Georgia linebacker, he just ticks every box. I mean, truthfully, six, nearly six four, two forty one, almost thirty three inch arms, mass, eighty inch wingspan, four five two forty, you know, ten two broad jump, sub seven three cone, and for my money, this is the best tackler in the draft class. He in space between the tackles, whatever it is plays with great balance in space can wrap up he had a so for his career he missed only seven tackles on 138 attempts that is in in the sec that is an absolutely insane rate 5.1 missed tackle rate this guy and like with traits that will then translate as a tackler with that length with that strength with that athleticism to the nfl now is he the most instinctive does he play go above and beyond is he playmaker is he playing the other side of the line of scrimmage no not really that's kind of the knock on him. But I think there will be schemes that will be beating down this guy's door because of how good he is playing in space at his size. And that's like spot drop schemes, anything where it just lets him play an easy role where he can just use that athleticism. He's going to be a successful linebacker in the NFL. So Quay Walker truthfully would not surprise me if he goes before Nicobe Dean goes. As insane as that sounds, having watched like George Tape last year and seen that, but he just has the more projectable NFL body. Young, long, like that 32 and 5 eighth inch arms is massive, almost an 80 inch wingspan. Like that's what people chase at the off ball linebacker position. I, mean, I don't think he's that dissimilar from a body type standpoint to Jamin Davis, where he came in and ran yes. fast, was super long. I, I think people, he's a better prospect, in my opinion, than Jamin Davis was. Which, so I think there has been a lot of rumors talking to Doug Kide, the reporter here at PFF, where a lot of the people he's talking to say Quay Walker's probably going to go in the first round. Yeah. A lot of people are not surprised me on Quay Walker right now. I like Chanel over Walker. I think there's conversation around Asamoah over Walker and even Muma over Walker. But from a frame standpoint, athleticism frame, all that, I think um, you know it's, it's safe to say that he's firmly in the first-round conversation coming out of Georgia. Next on your list, Brian Asamoah. Yes, the Oklahoma linebacker, an undersized guy, 6'2", 26, but he has a 6'7", wingspan. So a bigger wingspan than uh, – pretty much all the other guys we talked only Quay Walker is bigger of the guys we've talked about so far so short but not undersized by any means four five six forty ten four broad jump an explosive guy craves contact massive hitter one of the biggest hitters in draft class I believe forced like three fumbles last season just plays with that sort of speed and violence to his game I thought he really 
played more under control this past season. I, he, I believe he's started his career off as a safety or was recruited as a safety, moved to linebacker in his very first year as a starter, which was 2020. You saw him, you know, not breaking down into tackles, getting over aggressive this past year, cleaned a lot of that up, far fewer missed tackles, far better in terms of just playing within himself and, and that natural athleticism, that natural ferocity he plays with really shines. So I, I'm a big fan of his. I think he should be, I, I mean, second round grade in the PFF draft guy. I, I think he's what you're looking for is kind of a modern weak side linebacker. Yeah. Is the worry with him the biggest worry probably the size? Yeah, I, I think so. And also, because I think his size does show up sometimes. Like when mm -hmm. you look at his yeah. negatively graded plays, he is oftentimes getting lost in the wash. You know what I mean? That I think is um, what shows up as concerning, right? He's got length, yeah. he's got athleticism, all that stuff. But I think the lack of polish playing linebacker and yeah. being only six foot 226, you're going to get lost in the wash a lot, which that is. You know, oftentimes when you're flowing the ball and even if like a guard gets a chip of you, you're getting pushed back enough mm -hmm. to where you're not affecting the play. Like people talk a lot about contact balance at off ball linebacker or no, at running back. You need contact balance at linebacker, too, because you need to be able to wade through a lot of that stuff to fly to the football. Even if you're the most explosive person on the field, if a, you know, a left arm jab from a guard is pushing you off your line, you're going to get you're going to make fewer plays. And I think that's a big concern if you're going to ask him to play like truly in the middle. But like you said, Sam, I think where is probably there more opportunity. All right, next guy on the list is actually Troy Anderson. My guy. From Montana State. A true all-time athlete. If you follow, <laughs> I mean, legit, if you follow, um, what is it, Math Bomb on Twitter, the, what's his actual Kent name? Kentley Platt. Kentley Platt, who kind of has, does a, it's called RAS, Relative Athletic Score, an all-around, basically takes every athletic testing number, how that stacks up historically against others, and puts it into one combined score. He was the highest testing of all time which takes in size, arm length, weight, you know, and then all the athletic testing because he is 6'3", 243, and ran a 442, the 1490 split, a 36-inch vertical, 10-8 broad jump, a 407 short shuttle, and a 6773 cone. This guy is freak. Different. Best all-time. Best all-time RS at the linebacker position. So He had a 149 10-yard split, bro. And that's good for a cornerback, 149 10-yard split. And this guy – is legitimately a highly athletic cornerback at 243 pounds, 6'3". So. I would highly, highly recommend <laughs> you guys go back and listen to the Troy Anderson interview we did last week on this podcast because he is also like just such a humble, stereotypical Montana guy. Like, and he's, he's got a Montana haircut. I'll he just definitely say does have a Montana haircut. <laughs> he graduated with a uh, class of 80. I think we talked a little bit last yeah. week. But like he is someone that was recruited to Montana State to play off-ball linebacker. And then they said three days before camp, they said, hey, we need you to play running back. Our running back got in trouble and is not going to be with the team anymore. Not even like you're better than him. It was like, mm -hmm. no, like we kind of just need you to go play. So he plays running back when he starts. Yeah. Plays running back, has some success. Then his sophomore season, same situation. A couple weeks before the, the camp, they're like quarterbacks out for like dismissed for some other reason. And then he goes to play quarterback and he literally breaks the school records <laughs> for rushing, passing, all this stuff. And then finally, 2020 doesn't happen. COVID, mm -hmm. like doesn't get to play. 2021 hits and they're like you can finally play linebacker and he's solid like very his good first year of actually full-time linebacker was the comparison you made to Chaz Surratt I think is good in terms of like how he got to play off ball linebacker yeah. but it's more I think it's different because Anderson's a better athlete yes like a legitimately way better athlete I, I do think that I don't like him ahead of some of the guys that have already played high-end off-ball linebacker. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think anyone who has Anderson over Chanel, I, doesn't, I don't think he's watched the Chanel tape or even Anderson over, uh, over um, 
Asamoa, like, but I do, I do like uh, Anderson a lot in this tier too. I think that's a smart, a smart slot for the Montana yeah. State kid. I mean, he truly is freaky, and like it shows on tape. It's not just like oh, freaky testing guy who has no clue how to play football. It's like he knows how to play every position in football. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he yeah. has, so he just hasn't played enough linebacker. Is probably the biggest problem with him. So, I mean, if this guy, if it like starts to turn on with him in terms of. You know, picking up the scheme, playing fast, taking on blocks, like all that stuff starts to develop, you are getting high, high-end potential with what he brings to the table. So uh, I'm a big fan of Anderson. I think we're still – that was the end. All one, two, three, four, five, six guys I just mentioned are all top 50 players in the PFF board. So yeah. a lot of that talent. That just screams, dude, if you want like. an off-ball linebacker in this class, like you have a, a need for a starter there. I love the idea of attacking it in round Second two, round, round three. Like, yeah. go attack it in round two, round three. I think into your offensive line and off-ball linebacker, you can get starters. And safety, safety. Mm-hmm. You can get starters on day two. And that is where, when you think about taking a Lloyd or a Dean in the first round or some of these you know, in, other interior offensive line prospects, it's like sometimes it's say, let's go wait a second here and go grab you know, Cole Strange from Chattanooga or some of these other guys that we know mm-hmm. are, are super talented as well. I, I, the next guy on your list, the, the, uh, Chad Muma, before you go, I think of any linebacker in this class, maybe outside of Dean, he, when I was talking about how he like struggles through trash, that's Asamoa, he, I think, wades through that the best. I think he has the best technical skill set yeah. to get through against the run when he doesn't, when he's not, because Dean a lot, oftentimes is just firing to a gap, right? And that's a lot of what the defense asks mm-hmm. of him. Muma is reading and reacting in real time yeah. that is unparalleled in this class. Like, I think he, if he is a step behind because he's you know reading reacting, he is able to make up with that on his angles to the football and all that stuff. And I think that's a big reason why Deontay Lee, big shout out to him, who's now a you know, former PFF guy now working at the Athletic, he quickly was like, Muma I think is the top linebacker in this class. He's yeah. a big Muma fan for just how he technically plays the position, read and reacts to the run game and all that stuff. But I don't think he's any slouching coverage either. He's not the athlete that Anderson is or some of these other mm-hmm. guys are, but he's still like a good enough athlete and really really sound at the position yeah very high football iq very good uh very high end athlete too and a very good tackler in terms of wrap-up skills mm-hmm. four six three forty forty inch vertical ten nine broad jump i mean ticks those boxes at six nearly six foot three 239 pounds so that that he has all of that for a three down player my biggest worry physicality even on wyoming's tape against wyoming's competition not a stack shed linebacker, not a take on guy. You saw him, like you said, avoiding blocks a lot. Very good at that. That is something that is, I don't want to say less valuable, but you have to, you can't do all the time in the NFL. You're going against offensive linemen that can catch you, that can find you in space, as opposed to just being able to play around blocks 24 7. So I, I do worry about that. I think he may not be your, you know, Mike linebacker for Wyoming, may not, ha- may not be able to fill that role at the NFL, but. Again, a, a, another high floor. Why, why is all, all these guys are in this tier two of guys I really like because they tick a lot, a lot of boxes. Last but not least, you mentioned Damone Clark. Give us, the, give us the skinny. So, again, he got flagged at the combine for a herniated disc in his neck, had neck fusion surgery, will miss his rookie year. But he's a guy who got benched in 2020 for LSU. Started linebacker at LSU, got benched. Came back this past year, completely different player. Why I really like him in this tier, why I think he belongs. In the conversation for this tier, when healthy, which again, if you're missing a whole rookie season, that, that's going to drop you two or three rounds at the very least. So I, probably not going to come off the board until day three. But insanely good tackler and plays 
very well out in space, kind of ticks every box you want to see athletically for a sideline to sideline, go get it guy, ran the four fives at 240 pounds. It just, I think that this guy, again, a lot of similar sort of positives to what we're talking about as Quay Walker, kind of like a poor man's Quay Walker in terms of tick size, ticks the wingspan, ticks the speed, ticks the athleticism, all of that. Maybe not your most instinctive, maybe not playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage, maybe not all that but just a very projectable athlete to the position that I'm going to buy into. So still, he, he may be your guy if you're really kind of forward-thinking, forward-looking that you attack somewhere around four or five. On to tier three, the high-end athletes tier. I would also say like the high-end projects tier. Yeah. You have Christian Harris of Alabama, Channing Tindall of Georgia, and then can we start with the third guy you have here? It's Brandon Smith. Brandon Smith, and why I want it to be the high-end projects here, is like if you built a linebacker in a lab. Yes. Six foot three, 250. Clears the 240 mark, clears the 245 mark, and ran a 452. 34 and 5 eighths inch arms. Some of the longest arms in the class, regardless of position. He's playing at linebacker where arm length is so coveted. 81 and a half inch wingspan, and he's only 21 years old. Like He's going to play his entire rookie season, yeah. I think, at 21 years old. Yeah. He, in my opinion, is the day three bet on the upside guy. And just see if it will work, you know, because I do think that he has a lot of projectable traits, not a lot of great film yet, but I think the projectable yeah. traits is something I flock to at that position these days. Yeah, I mean, I'd even consider seeing if this dude can rush the passer. With Try something level. with him. I mean, a four-five-two at six-three, two-fifty with thirty-four and five-inch arms, and a sub-seven-three cone like that guy. That's in the ballpark of like a Jason Oway last year, and how athletic he was, and his sophomore year at Penn State. He played slot corner, basically. I mean, the overhang slot position that at in the 240s. You know, he's, he's that kind of athletic that he can fill that role. That's probably the biggest guy I've seen fill that role at the collegiate level. It is insane that he was even able, that they even thought about doing that with him. But then this past year, gets between the tackles and, like, he's a mess. I mean, he is not a developed linebacker whatsoever. But I, I still, in coverage, is still pretty good. Like, pure man-match skills. He is much higher on this list. Like, he is jumping guys above him in these tiers for sure, in terms of just athletically what he can do. But awful, awful tackler. Out of control too often in space, trying to close plays and just not develop whatsoever between the tackles versus the run. Take on skills, anything, processing speed, it's all bottom of the barrel. If he wasn't a freak athlete, this guy doesn't get drafted. You know, yeah. if he's an average athlete, he's, not, he's a UDFA. But. He's not an average athlete. He's one of the best in the draft class. So I'm very intrigued about where he ends up going. Pivot to Christian Harris, who the biggest concern or knock I have on him is as is, is much of an athlete he is. One is size, six foot two, twenty-six. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did run a four four four. Like he's got a lot of really like high end athletic testing. I just didn't see him get better at Alabama. And you factor that in with the size concerns, and it's like I don't know. I'm not as high on Harris as a lot of other people. I take Chanel over Harris. I mean, there's people who and like he, Harris is like the number three, number four linebacker in this class. And, I just can't get on board. And he gets lost in coverage. And the good thing about Alabama's defense, Nick Saban's defense, those are NFL concepts. If a guy is struggling with the NFL concepts in Alabama's defense, it's very easy to, to say that might be the case again in the NFL. But like you said, 4-4-4, 11-foot broad jump explosive straight line player and the reason why a lot of people are high in him and why you can still project him to the next level and why there is still he is still going to be drafted highly he takes on blocks really well he comes downhill 
ferociously, can impact as a pass rusher, as a blitzer, can impact in run defense, has take on skills that aren't going to be a liability whatsoever. He's going to be able to do it at the NFL level despite being, like I said, 226 pounds. So that's kind of the thing on him. He could be a better, you know, he could be a guy that, similar to like a Leo Chanel, you're going to want to be taking out of coverage as much as possible to blitz or do other things. But high-end athlete like that is still probably going to be drafted fairly highly. Last but not least, Channing Tindall, guy that I think we've talked about a handful of players that have football IQ that you see on tape and instincts you see on tape. You don't see it as yeah. much with Tindall. Tindall, I, the way I put in my notes, he's a pointed gun. If you point him a wind-up toy. Yeah, a wind-up toy a little bit. I think, I, like, if you tell him, fire at this, and he's going to hit it because this guy is insanely explosive. And he's got yes. good size, too. Like, he's not explosive and small. Like, he's got yes. good size for the position as well. Six foot one, 230, ran a 4.47 with a 1.52 10-yard split, almost 33-inch arms. So he has good Four, size. 42-inch vertical. Good size, phenomenal explosiveness. Whew. And if you put him in a role where there's not a lot of read and react and he's not turning his back to line of scrimmage, I think he's going to have a shitload of success in the NFL. It's just that's going to knock him off people's boards. There will be teams that don't even have a role for Tyndall in their, on their defense, right? Yeah. But there are other teams that are a bit more pointed with what they ask their linebackers to do, and they're going to yeah. bring this guy in and watch him cook. And also a little more straight line sort of guy, straight line speed. If you're asking him to turn and run with tight ends, turn, like turn pure, play pure man coverage, I'm not sure he's going to be a guy that is good at that. Whereas, you know, Brand Smith, Christian Harris, I think can do that. Tyndall's still a little more straight line sort of guy, but even still tackled at a very high level over the course of his career. Only eight misses his entire career. But then the worry, what you went back to, he didn't break up single passing coverage ever. He didn't get a hand on a football at any point in his collegiate career in coverage. So that's, that's a touch concern. <laughs> that's an insane stat. That's a touch concern. Uh, last tier here. This is the what you're calling the something is missing tier. And it sucks to see Beavers this low. But I went back and watched him too. And I still feel that his explosiveness is somewhat lacking on tape. His yeah. suddenness, right? It's not even like explosiveness. It's suddenness. Mm -hmm. he, had a, he had one six three ten 10-yard split. It's one of the so slowest big, in the class. Difference. Like yeah. you can't. You can't fire out of your stance like that. And they asked him to rush the passer a lot more than you'd probably expect him to do mm -hmm. in the NFL. I, I'm a little bit worried about his explosiveness, even though I love the player and and love just like he hits hard. Yes. He, he's he's a he's got good size at six foot three, two forty three, but one six three ten yard split just is not not it when you're looking at you know add starting off all linebacker talent. Yeah, so this tier is basically I think there's a role for these guys. I think they can see start on NFL football field. There's just you're going to have to accept a limitation in one way, shape, or form. And with Beavers, it's that explosiveness. Is he going to chase down a linebacker off the edge? Or, excuse me, a running back off the edge? No. He's just not. That's not the kind of guy he is. He is a Sam linebacker, strong side, take on the tight end. You know, he can do that, but you're just going to have to live with some limitations. So he'll be better for certain schemes than others. Trell Bernard is next on this list, the Baylor linebacker. His limitations are very obvious. At his pro day, he checked in at six foot one, 218 pounds. He is not big. He looks like a safety. I mean, this guy would have been a safety 10 years ago. He would have had to play safety in the NFL. Now the NFL is getting more open to players like that. And if I'm going to bet on a guy to overcome that, it is him with the way he plays. Like, no fear attacking blocks. Like, he does it already. I mean, he had seven and a half sacks this past season was a guy who wanted to play downhill, wanted to thump in the block box. But I think maybe his role at the NFL level, best role is kind of a sub package guy, you know, 
your nickel dime back or whatever you want to call it, I, I think that's going to ultimately be, be his best role. But I think he can excel in such a role. Still a fan of his. The next one on this list, Malcolm Rodriguez, is probably he has some of the craziest tape of anyone in this draft class because his frame is just tiny for the position. You will not see a smaller linebacker in the NFL. He's 5'11", 232, but with 30 and an eighth inch arms. I think once, if he became a starter in the NFL, those would be the shortest arms of any linebacker in the league. If he, like, on mm-hmm. tape, looks compact as hell, but pinballs off of blocks. Like, he has incredible balance because, I mean, he's short, like, low yeah. center of gravity. This guy is never on the ground, fast as hell, sideline to sideline, one heck of an athlete, did 36 bench press reps at his pro day. <laughs> he is just a rock. Like, this guy is pure muscle at 5'11". If you walk past this guy on, like at the gym, you would be terrified, just because he is. A lot of people are terrified of the to the gills, but can move well too. Like you, you want to bet on this guy because of how he plays the game of football. But shit, that's going to be an uphill climb with a seventy-three inch wingspan. Mm-hmm. That's just going to be a massive uphill climb. So that, like the size concerns for Bernard, I think are even worse for Rodriguez and what he's going to do in the NFL. But you they want, both have really you short bet arms. on to succeed that you want to succeed with the way he plays the game of football. I think the you you framed it best in like he's a rock, right? And he hit four five two, one five four, ten yards, but like good explosiveness. But I don't think the NFL has as much of a role for the rock linebackers anymore, right? Like you need you need I don't know what the like water. You need fluidity. You need yeah. length. You need you know it's it's just a different skill set than what the league has asked of off ball linebackers in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, t- twenty years ago that guy just like early down stuffing on in like yeah, four or three defense. I mean, he's not too dissimilar from a frame perspective than a um, London Fletcher, you know? Like, London Fletcher was kind of that guy mm-hmm. who was just an absolute, as big a five foot eleven linebacker as you'll ever see. Um, but I don't, I, I do think he'll have a tougher time in today's NFL than he did back then. All right, next up on the list is JoJo Doman mm-hmm. from Nebraska. He played slot at Nebraska at 6'1", 230. So, Never played between the tackles. Is also very old. He turns 25 in July. So two big two knocks on him already when projecting the NFL. Third knock on him. Checked in with 27 and 78-inch arms as pro day. 73-inch wingspan as pro day. That's a yikes. Those are yikes numbers for the linebacker position. Again, I said Rodriguez would be the shortest. Domans are shorter. So a little bit scary, but 4 5 8, 40. All-around great athlete. I mean, could even you could even I think truthfully, what I would do is ask him to lose weight and play actual safety in the NFL because he has those sort of movement skills, he has those sort of instincts, he can cover to that degree that I would almost rather have him there because switching and playing a traditional NFL linebacker role for him, I just think is going to be a massive uphill climb. I just don't see um, at his age and like all the projectable predictable stuff, like only 15 bench press reps for an already undersized linebacker is not where you want to be. I think him losing weight and playing just safety might be his ultimate role in the league, but a very good coverage player, a very instinctive player, and a very willing sort of physical player for having those size deficiencies. And he graded out extremely well. I mean, in a slot role, yeah. to do what he was asked to do, that is, you know, we say the slot, the slot is more difficult coverage role than a traditional between the linebacker, between the tackles linebacker, 87.8 coverage grade last year so i still really like him for that perspective but again you're probably looking at a safety or just a guy who you're going to play in the slot in your defense last last couple names here i think it's michael mcfadden and mike rose so michael mcfadden is probably the 
next best you know, blitzing linebacker in this class. He's in that Leo Chanel mold of an off ball downhill. Get him going after opposing quarterbacks, ball carriers, play on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage, sort of linebacker. Actually had a higher pass rushing grade than Chanel this past year, 92.0 in 2021, 90.8 in 2020. He can do that. Has had over 90 pressures over the last three seasons. So he's good in that role. Now, is he particularly fast? No. Is he particularly fluid in space? No. So those are your limitations for a guy like that. But your downhill blitzer type, that's a scheme-specific guy. Mike Rose is maybe in this tier the one that intrigues me the most. And maybe maybe Rodriguez or Bernard too, but like Mike Rose is six foot five, two hundred and forty five pounds with over thirty four inch arms. He has a unique body type for the linebacker off ball linebacker position. Like the fact that this guy wasn't an edge rusher is wild to me with his with his just that body type's not one you often see off the ball. And and he had a six nine four three count. He can move. He he can he is agile at that size. Not particularly fast, but he can maneuver around blocks. Not a true take-on guy. Maybe that's why he's an off-ball linebacker is because he's not doesn't like to use his size advantage, doesn't like to play with power. And only 16 bench press reps at the combine is kind of a, a cringy number for a guy his size at 243 pounds. But like I said, you don't see athletes his size that move the way he does very often. And so interesting to see how he develops because he's a four-year starter. And starting since a true freshman year for Iowa State and actually graded out really well versus the run. So TBD on how he fares the next level. And that's the end of Tier 4. And even Tier 4 is all like guys I draft in the fourth round. This is a deep how, – how many linebackers do we get to here of guys before we ended the fourth round? That's a lot of dudes. Over like 12. Yeah. Almost 15. So. That is – speaks to the depth of class and again i think just drives the value down for lloyd and dean as good as they are down a little bit right like say i am a team drafting in that you know top 15 i'm not thinking about that knowing i can go get off ball linebacker talent on day two and day three before we get into the fun to read save your likes power ranking segment here shout out from two sponsors of the tailgate podcast what do us news and pc magazine and popular science have in common they all have ranked Simply Safe Home Security as the best home security of 2021. In fact, US News just named Simply Safe the best home security of 2022. Simply Safe has freed me from worry and given me peace of mind while I'm tra- out traveling. Uh, while I'm out traveling, Simply Safe protects your whole home around the clock, 24/7, every door, window, and room. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day, and you can set it up in around 30 minutes. It's always simple to use. There's no long-term contract. You can even try it for 60 days risk-free. If you don't send, if you don't send it back for free of charge, there's nothing to lose. Simply Safe protects over a million homes in the United States alone. Check it out. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash hutch. Go today and claim free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash hutch. Also, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. BetterHelp Online Therapy is here for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some inner peace. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hutch. That's Better H-E-L-P and join over the two million over two million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Hutch listeners. Get 10% off and tailgate listeners. Get 10% off with your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Hutch. 
All right. Fun to read. I thought we had some decent pieces this weekend. Really decent pieces. We're going to go Truthfully, through. Truthfully, one of these is an all-timer, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. And you didn't even see it live. I oh, no. This live. one is what I'm saying is an all-timer. The first one. The first one? First one is, um, who's the first one? Which one do you want to go first? Oh, Baldy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. This one's an all time. Yeah, yeah. Let's go into this one. Fun to read. So what happens is, you want to frame it? Go ahead. I'll frame it. I'll frame it because I love this one. So someone, uh, Brian Baldinger said, there's a quote from him from NFL Network. that said, Jeffrey Simmons is as close to Aaron Donald as we've seen. Now, TBD on if you believe that or not, but some guy quote tweeted and said, say it louder in the back. And, and there's a little bit of a conversation that goes back and more mm -hmm. forth. And some guy says, did he, did Baldy forget who Cameron Hayward is? And then in a few more replies, and he says, I'm generally, someone says that Hayward is not even close to the same level as Simmons. And this guy says, I'm generally curious by what metric. I understand homerism and that's fine. It's fun to showcase bravado about your players. But Simmons isn't there yet. Cam has been an all-pro four of the last five seasons and a top three DT in PFF each of the last three years. Better stats, too, is his argument for Cam Hayward. So he cites PFF. And Brian Baldinger replies to him this tweet and says, You know that the Steelers were dead last versus the run, number 32 in the NFL. Titans were number two. But keep studying the stat page. That's After incredible. he quotes two stats, two team stats, mind you. Not, like those all those those Simmons versus Hayward stats are one's not even a stat because it's PFF grade, which is an objective value, which is an outsider evaluation. Um, but not even stats. Besides just better stats too. Balder comes in from the clouds, quoting stats, and tells them to then keep studying the stat page. But also, like if you're saying Jeff, I don't understand Baldinger from this. If saying Jeffrey Simmons is as close to as Aaron Donald as we've seen, and then like. You see that people are having discourse about, like, have you heard of Cam Hayward, whatever, whatever, whatever. And he's like, you know what? Did you know the Steelers were 32nd in run defense with Cameron Hayward and the Titans were number two? Like, that's not even, like, getting at what Jeffrey Simmons at all. Like, yeah. How are you using team stats to defend that in the slightest? That's insane. I like Brian Baldinger, though. I'm not – this is not a hit on Brian Baldinger. I think he's great. And, like, the it's I think it's – I think the guy who's also, like, have you heard of Cameron Hayward? I don't think Cameron Hayward is anywhere near what Aaron Donald is. I think what Baldinger's trying to say is, like, Jeffrey Simmons can affect the pass like Donald can. Like, he has yeah. good pass rush moves. Then to bring up team run defense yeah. makes no sense to me. That's absurd. All right. Well, the next one to read. I thought this one was an all-timer. This one's from a guy on Twitter. His name is Daniel Kelly Book. He's apparently an aspiring former Jets scout. That's a, an aspiring GM. So apparently he was a scout. I'm before. not sure any of that's true. He was but the a, aspiring GM part, probably. Maybe, but. maybe. He's also the author of the most controversial book in sports, whatever it takes. I haven't heard of it, but I'm sure it's controversial after seeing this tweet. So Daniel Kelly says, "This is 17." So this is Easter Sunday. He's like, I'm wearing my Hernandez jersey today as a reminder we are saved by grace through faith and not our works, Ephesians 2.8. Aaron understood that. I, he used his own blood to share that truth. That's why his autograph is tattooed on my hand. Hashtag NFL, hashtag Easter. Who took this picture of him walking down the sidewalk with the Aaron Hernandez jersey? I need to know. Because that person, what is going on? Then you see the tattoo of the, that's, it's Aaron Hernandez's signature above a John 316 call out on his hand. That's insane. This guy's, that's just one I of the most you'll, absurd you'll tweets I've be, ever seen. You'll also not be surprised to know that he has a New York Yankees logo tattoo on the back of his neck. Which oh is, my gosh. I think goes hand in hand with this. No, not to hail on Yankees fans too much. But this is, I, I, I feel like this has to be a prank. 
It's you not know? a prank. Like, I, it, it I don't think it's a be. prank. I don't think it's a prank. That guy, I think, I've, is just a little psycho, which is fine. Either there's something going on here that I frankly don't want to talk about, or I'm getting we're getting got. Like this isn't this guy's laughing his ass off to this because it can't be real. I just don't. I don't know I don't how. I just don't think Aaron Hernandez should be celebrated on any holiday. Oh no! Let oh, alone no. let alone Easter. But the he then put a link that said Aaron Hernandez had tattooed John three sixteen on his forehead. So did he? Yeah, that was. That's insane. They're written in ink. Maybe All right, next one here is from our boy Dan Orlovsky, who is the king. I'm calling Dan Orlovsky the king of comps. And if you see a tweet from Dan Orlovsky that is a player comp, I think we all need to start this flurry of hashtagging king of comps. Because he put out – he's already been the guy that said Garrett Wilson is Julio Jones. Chris Olave was Keenan Allen. Yeah. Then he has the Traylon Burks comp is Anquan Bolden plus Debo Samuel usage, step slower burst-wise. This combo comp is like – is he just saying like he's as big as Anquan Bolden? Spelled Anquan wrong too. Which is fine. No, it's not. <laughs> He's like as, he's like as big as Anquan Bolden, but then Debo Samuel on how he'll be used in the NFL. Like I don't yeah. really understand what he's saying actually. So he wants a guy that runs a four seven to use Debo Samuel's role. So he just wants a running back basically. <laughs> he said Traylon Burks running back. So he's no, a step, I don't is know. he a step slower burst wise to Anquan Bolden or Debo? That's I think to pe- Debo, but then Debo Samuel usage. I don't know, man. We're trying to figure. We're trying to get inside Dan Orlovsky's brain. The king of comps the gets us again. The king of comps. I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in love though. I'm in love. Um, last one here. This one was highly, highly scrutinized. Um, but the Houston Texans, some random intern, pitched the idea of putting the matzo bread of pa- you know the, uh, that you have on Passover, photoshopping it into the hands of Brevin Jordan and Brandon Cooks. And then the copy is Happy Passover to who all celebrate. I don't think this should have gotten as roasted as it big as it was, but I also don't understand like how um, how divisive this is, you know? Because I think a lot, I think a lot of people were hurt, like just like felt like this was like I don't know. I don't, not a lot of people were happy with this tweet. They felt it was. It was. Bad. I mean, a terrible like the fact that I don't know. Just anytime brands try to celebrate holidays or like try to send out things that aren't in their brand it always comes off cringy yeah and this takes that obviously to another level my favorite is the reply that says happy good friday to all that celebrate and then <laughs> what photoshops laramie tunsil onto a crop <laughs> oh my god oh uh, man that's good that's good yeah. i just don't i just don't think you need to take that risk like it's not even it's not worth the likes you know no. like like you don't, you don't have to like you don't have to celebrate like it's cool acknowledging other holidays and stuff, but like you don't have to take it to the level where like you're fucking photoshopping a cracker in this dude's hand. Like that's where it's like you've made you you've, you're trying to celebrate it, but it looks like you're like kind of making fun of it. Like it's kind of offensive to even like yes. put like take it to this level, which yeah. unfortunate for the Texans graphic designer who put that together. But definitely a fun to read. Only two make the save to likes. One of them is our friend of the pod, Daniel Jeremiah. We love this one. And another one is our friend of the pod. Eric Eager. <laughs> so the first one from Daniel Jeremiah is highlighting your guy, Jason Poe. Repeat. Repeat. And not only does he highlight Jason Poe, the Mercer guard Jason Poe, with, with one of the, the clips of him pulling to the edge. Yeah. But he says he calls him fun to watch. He's fun to watch. He calls him fun to watch. Have to love it. Have, have to, to love, love it, it from DJ. And truthfully, the man is fun to watch. The man I'm not going to argue with it, but we don't have to like it. The next one is from Eric Eager. <laughs> who's a big football fan 
and obviously like works here at PFF as a data scientist. He finds himself on, I think this would be Friday, watching some basketball and he just tweets out randomly, Donovan Mitchell is fun to watch. And we get like 16 replies. So people are like- but You guys saved your likes, only 29 likes on this one. That's so great, we, that's great. The movement is working. gaining traction. Save your likes on Donovan Mitchell is fun to watch. You love to see it. You absolutely love to see it. Last but not least here on this episode of Tailgate Power Rankings, I decided that we power rank holidays. Uh, just kept, since we're coming off of Easter, I don't think we've done that before. I'll yeah. say this. Easter is so low on my list. It's lower than most days. Like it could be a random, <laughs> like like random Friday yeah. in May is a little bit better than Easter. I'm, I and part of that's because I don't celebrate. And it's a big family holiday. And if you're not like really close to your family, you're probably not doing a ton. I mean, we didn't even get today off also. Bullshit. Obviously, we're here working. So yeah. Bullshit. So powering holidays, Easter down in the depths of despair. My number one, I'll go through my full three. Okay. And I'll go bury down. Number one is Thanksgiving. Why? Thanksgiving is sick because the night before is usually an absolute sender. And here in Cincinnati, yeah, the cyclones. So from the midnight on, the night, the, that morning of, it's always great. It's it always never great. misses. Here in Cincinnati, there's an ECHL team called the Cincinnati Cyclones. And every Wednesday before Thanksgiving, they do dollar beer nights. Mm -hmm. Dollar like tall boy PBRs and Miller Lights. I think they have Miller Lights too. So you did to do that. You got they, last year, this last year, they played the Toledo Walleye. There was like seven fights. They won like eight, two. It was an absurd hockey game. Then you go out and buzz with the boys. Next morning, you wake up hungover to ideally a nice meal. Mm -hmm. Me and George Chahuri, big shout out to him, made a nice meal. And you just eat and drink all day. I mean, that's the, that's the move right and there. And the night before is great too. Then I put Halloween. Halloween, I think it's because like Halloween usually is, uh, has enough energy to last an entire weekend. And everyone's buzzing on Halloween. I'm a big fan of the party scene in Halloween. Then number three, Christmas. Christmas, I think, is a good number three. Christmas is obviously great. Get some gifts out. Get some appreciation out. And I also think the Christmas Eve buzz is pretty good, too. I'm finding out now through my power rankings that I'm just kind of an alcoholic, which is rough to say out loud. But all three of these are, like, big reasons because either the night before or the day of you drink well, a little bit. That's why you missed, which is my number one, the single best drinking day of the year. And that's You've the said 4th this of to July. me before, and I can't disagree. It's the 4th of July. And it's because there's literally nothing else to do, you know? They're not like there's nothing else to do, but like it is good weather, like peak weather season with, at least in the Midwest, peak weather season with nothing going on to like distract you from going out and doing whatever you want. Fireworks. I'm a big fireworks guy. Lighting them off. You're a big good. fireworks guy? I'm a big fireworks guy. That's the guy. lamest thing you've ever said. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, it, it's fun to have them there. I'm not like go watch fireworks, but it's fun to have them going off while you're doing something. Doing um, what? Drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I think Fourth of July is solid. I, I think I, I think it's wrong for me to maybe put some of these other holidays above, but I think it's an honorable mention. I think maybe I slot it in as fourth. I'm not putting it above Christmas and Halloween. Thanksgiving's too obvious. Whatever you just said, I wholesale agree with. Plus football. Plus that's a great take. That that's big fan of Thanksgiving. And then I put Christmas three. I also like Memorial Day weekend. It's kind of kick off to summer. Always good time. But Christmas hard to beat. Hard to beat. I mean, it's just it was. Halloween's the crazy take though on this list. Halloween's cool until you're 13, and then no, it's no, over. no. Then it's over. No, Halloween's stop. Done. Halloween. This Halloween is no longer what it was when you were a kid, right? I've never worn up. a costume out for Halloween. I, last time I wore a costume for Halloween was 2015. Wow, that's because you're just like a curmudgeon, dude. Why don't you like celebrate and like be a little bit festive one time? No, it's. It's a child's holiday. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And I'm a child. And I am a child. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Tomorrow's episode, we have, I believe, cornerback rankings.
Yeah. Then safety on the Thursday episode. We also we have interviews the with final draft board coming too. Final draft board, final mock drafts. We are getting close to the end of the season here. Make sure if you want a draft guide, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Send me a screenshot of that review on Twitter or IG. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Runner, Tailgate.